0: 1 John chapter 5, and uh, we're going to look at verses 14 and 15 today. I want to talk to you this morning just for a little bit about the prayer God answers, and uh, you know we all want our prayers answered, and so we're going to just look at what is the the one prayer that we know God answers, and uh, it's probably going to be fairly evident as we read the text together. But just follow along with me in these first couple of verses, verses 14 and 15 of 1 John, and here's what it says. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. Great, great verses. And we want to know, I want to know when I pray that God hears me. Do you want to know when you pray that God hears you? Yeah, I think we all do. And uh, we need to know that because it doesn't always Feel that way does it anybody with me on that sometimes we pray it doesn't really feel always like God is hearing what we're saying but we need to know that that he does hear and John says here that if we have confidence in approaching God then then we know that he hears us I like that we need that we need the confidence it makes me uh, think of some of the Catholic services that I have attended and uh no no issues here against Catholics. If you're Catholic and you're with us this morning, God bless you. Uh, but but I remember, you know, being in that environment and not knowing all of the little things that you're supposed to say, uh, right? You're in the Catholic service and there are responses sometimes that have to happen. And, and the one that I was thinking about as I was getting ready this week was was that little phrase, Lord, hear our prayer, right? Lord, hear our prayer. It It really is, is uh, it, it kind of illustrates our, our heart's cry, doesn't it? When we pray, we want to know that He hears. Lord, hear our prayer. Well, John tells us that we can have confidence that God hears us. and And that, you know, He hears us, though, under one condition, that when we pray, we ask according to His will. Now, that's where it gets a little tricky, isn't it? Psalmist David understood this, and I want us to look at uh, at Psalm 143 together. And uh, we're going to look at David's prayer with, uh, with regard to all of this. And so um, if you would just turn there for just a moment. Just realize that I don't have that in my notes. So I'm going to look it up right now. And, oh boy, technology is wonderful, isn't it? I know, sometimes, no it's not though, I want the whole chapter. Okay, we've got lots of time, nobody's in a hurry today, are they? Wow, there's a lot of chapters in Psalm, isn't there? Are you Ready? Oh, okay. I've just been waiting. Um, Here's what it says. Psalm 143. Lord, hear my prayer. Listen to my cry for mercy. In your faithfulness and righteousness, come to my relief. Do not bring your servant into judgment, for no one living is righteous before you. The enemy pursues me. He crushes me to the ground. He makes me dwell in the darkness like those long dead. So my spirit grows faint within me. My heart within me is dismayed. I remember the days of long ago. I meditate on all your works and consider what your hands have done. I spread out my hands to you. I thirst for you like a parched land. Answer me quickly, Lord. My spirit fails. Do not hide your face from me. Or I will be like those who go down to the pit. Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love. For I have put my trust in you. Show me the way that I should go. For to you, I entrust my life. Rescue me from my enemies, Lord. For I hide myself and you teach me to do your will. For you are my God. May your good spirit lead me on level ground. For your name's sake, Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring me out of trouble. In your unfailing love, silence my enemies and destroy all my foes, for I am your servant. I want to go back to verse 10 just for a second. And, and it says there, teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your good spirit lead me on level ground. And so as we as we looked at that chapter together, I'm sure that you picked up on some of the, the intensity some of the desperation of, uh, of David's prayer. Phrases like, you know, listen to my cry. My, my spirit grows faint. My heart is dismayed. My soul thirsts. Answer me quickly. Rescue me. David is, is praying this intense prayer. And it's, it sounds urgent to us. He's at this turning point here in his life and he doesn't seem to know what comes next. Maybe uh, you've been at a point like that in your life at some point. Just don't know what comes next. You're, you're at a turning point. In David's case, he has good reason. He's being pursued by Saul and being pursued by Saul's army. And he doesn't know where to turn. And so he cries out to God to know his will. I, I've been there before. And so we, we think about this intense prayer, but it's also a beautiful prayer. He says, he says teach me to do your will. God, whatever comes, whatever happens, what I want to know is, what is your will for my life? G. Campbell Morgan said, there is no phrase more often in use among Christians than that of the will of God. There is but one thing that matters, knowing and doing God's will. We can see this in the life of Jesus as we look at Jesus' life when he teaches the disciples how to pray in Matthew chapter six. What does he tell them? He says to pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. You can say it with me. Thy kingdom come. What's next? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus taught us to pray his will, to pray for God's will. John 4, Jesus talked about the fact that his food was to do the will of the Father, the will of, of him that sent him. In John 17, as he prays to the Father, he asks him complete you know help me to complete the work that you gave me to do. I want to fulfill your will in my life. It was a prayer about God's will. And then in Matthew 26 as he prays in the garden before his crucifixion. What are the words that he prays? He prays, "Father, if it's possible, you know, take this cup from me, but not my will, but yours be done." So if if knowing and doing and, you know, praying for the Father's will is something that Jesus needed to do, How much more should you and I as believers follow suit? Knowing God's will is something that that is, or at least should be important to every single one of us as followers of Jesus Christ. The thing is, it's not always just as easy as that, is it? I mean, God's will can seem... Very elusive and often does seem very elusive at times. It's hard to put a finger on, which is why, you know, in 27 years of, of ministry, the question that I have been asked more than any other single question is this one. Pastor, how do I know God's will for my life? How do I know God's will? It's an important one that we all need to ask, but it's, it's not one that we need to ask other people necessarily necessarily. It's a question that must be asked of God. God's will is, it's an important matter. And it was important to the psalmist David as we read that prayer of David together. We couldn't help but notice that intensity, that passion as he cries out to God to know his will, for God to teach him to do his will. And so we we know because of our text this morning that if we pray according to God's will, the text in 1 John chapter five, that he hears us and that he answers. And so we wanna look a little closer Uh, Just for a few minutes, I want to just pull a few things out of this text in the Psalms. What we can learn, what is it we can learn from David's prayer? Well, first of all, I think we learn the intended priority and passion of every follower of Jesus. The intended priority and passion of every follower of Jesus. And that is to, to, to find, to seek God's will for our lives. In Psalm 140, verse 1, David's opening words of this prayer are, "O Lord, hear my prayer listen to my cry for mercy in your faithfulness and righteousness come to my relief david's passion his the one priority in his life was that that he would be heard of god and as we you know read down through that text we understand he's asking god about about what comes next what what about your will for my life he trusted god implicitly his priority and passion were aligned around god hearing his prayer and david knew somehow that this was connected to god's will and so you know, I think about, about trusting God and that David, you know, trusting God made a, made a difference in David's approach to this prayer. And here's what, I, here's what I think about believers in Jesus or people who follow Jesus as, you know, as their number one priority. And that is this, before we became followers of Jesus, we were only interested in one person's will, Right. Before we became followers of Jesus, we were only interested in, in one person's will, and that was, that, that was our own. That was my will be done. We lived for ourselves, and why not? From the perspective of someone who's not a follower of Christ, that would be a, a natural kind of stance to take. But something happens when we say yes to Jesus and we welcome him into our lives. Our priorities change because we make Jesus Christ, or we need to make Jesus Christ the leader of our lives when, when we make that decision. And so Paul talks about this change of priorities in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 15. He says, he says, he, Jesus, died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live to please themselves. Instead, they will live to please Christ who died and was raised for them. You go on to verse 17 in that chapter and it says, it says you know, what this means is that those who become Christians become new persons, They are not the same anymore for the old life is gone and a new life has begun. This kind of godly desire was evident in David's life. He says in Psalms 40 in verse eight, you know, I desire to do your will. O my God, your law is written within my heart. And if you go to 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 2, it talks about the, the new Christian again. And it says, you know, once, once you become a Christian, you won't spend the rest of your life chasing after evil desires, but you will be you know, anxious to do the will of God. That's the phrase that's used there. And uh, if you want to just jot 1 Peter down in your notes, 1 Peter 4 and verse 2, I don't believe that's one that's in your outline. And so we, we learn the intended priority and passion for every follower of Jesus. Secondly, I think that we learn that that God does have a purpose and a plan for each of our lives. David prays in, in verse 8, the second part of that verse, show me the way that I should go. And so there's this implication here. God, God has a way for us to go. He has a, a plan and a purpose for our lives. In verse 10, he says, "You know, teach me to do your will, for you are my God. And, and then he says this, may your good spirit lead me on level ground. David is looking for God's, direction, for his guidance in his life. And so implied here is that God has a plan and a purpose for all of us. David's cry, show me the way that I should go, is is all about that. And he operated under this assumption or from this baseline idea that God has a purpose and a plan for his life. Jeremiah 29 and verse 11. Um, You've heard me share it probably very often. But it's a, it's a fantastic verse when we think about sort of the bigger picture of, of God and, and serving God in our, in our own lives. God says through the prophet Jeremiah, I know, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. The message says that this way. I know what I'm doing. God knows what he's doing. I have it all planned out, plans to take care of you, not abandon you, and plans to give you the future you hope for. I'm glad, personally, you know, that God knows what he's doing in my life because, you know, half the time, I don't know what I'm doing in my life. It's good that God knows. And he knows what he's doing in your life too. He has a purpose for you. And he will reveal it to you if you ask him to. Colossians 1 and verse 9 uh, Paul writes he says to the church, For this reason, since the day we heard about you we 've not stopped praying for you, and this is the phrase and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding god you know God wants to fill us with the the knowledge of his will, but but we need you know to to ask him for that. I mentioned earlier i 'm often asked that question you know how can I know?' God's will. And I wonder sometimes if God is more willing to guide us and show us his will than we are to be guided sometimes. The passage we referred to a moment ago in Jeremiah 29, it goes on in verses 12 and 13, and it says this, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And I wonder, are we always prepared to seek God with all of our hearts, to know his will for us? When we know, you know, when we get some kind of direction as to what that might be, are, are we always prepared to go to go the distance, to, to live out God's will in our lives? Here's what that verse means, kind of in the in the vernacular. You know, when we go and ask another person, what God's will for our lives is, we're, we're kind of barking up the wrong tree. God says through the prophet Jeremiah, listen, I know what I'm doing. I've got this great plan for you. And if you really want to know what it is, just ask me, just ask me. I'm dying to tell you so that you can get on with your life and be, you know, be, be useful in my kingdom. If you don't know what God's will for your life is, maybe, maybe, just maybe, you've been asking the wrong people. Sometimes I think the question When we go and ask other people, you know, what's God's will for my life? Sometimes I think that's just a smokescreen because we already have a pretty good idea what his will for our lives is. We just don't want to do it. We just don't want to do it. We've got all kinds of instructions in the word of God. Jesus has asked us to live a certain way. God has given us principles to live by. And and all of those make up the basis for, for living out God's will in our lives and when we start to do that and when we start to pray and seek God's face that's when that's when we can get specific direction but quite often we know some of what God's will for our life is we're just we're just not really willing to do it sometimes you know we we just don't want to do it because we won't have to stretch ourselves and do what it is that God is asking us to do so the priority and passion of of every believer every follower in Jesus and then and then we talk about that God has a purpose we learn that God has a purpose and a plan for each of our lives and then thirdly this morning we learn the conditions that must be met if we are to know and do God's will the conditions that that sort of need to be met and God it's kind of spelled out for us here in David's prayer i think from the language of the prayer, we can determine three basic conditions that we must meet if we are to know and do God's will. First of all, we are to have a teachable attitude. We are to have a teachable attitude. Note how David prays. He says, teach me to do your will. He acknowledges his need to be taught. He acknowledges his need to be taught. And uh, this, you know, when I work with, with uh, young leaders this is kind of the biggest pet peeve that I have. Have you ever met a know-it-all? Have you ever met a 19-year-old know-it-all? Yeah. Don't you just want to punch him? The, you know, and sometimes this is how we come to God. We, we think we've got all the answers. We, we know it all. So we, we need to have a teachable attitude. We need to be open to, to what it is that God is teaching us through his word. We need to be open to the, the teaching of his spirit in our, in our own spirits. And, uh, you know, I don't think God likes know-it-alls either. If we know so much, why do we need to, you know, to go to God to ask his will? Jeremiah 10 and 23 says, You know, I know, O Lord, that a man's life is not his own. It is not for man to direct his steps. It is not for man to direct his steps. And so we, we have, first of all, the, that first condition. We're to have a teachable attitude. Secondly, we're to have an intense desire to know God's will. As we, as we read David's prayer, and noted before, it's not, not difficult to sense his intensity, his desperation as he cries out to God. And the Bible is filled with specific promises to stimulate our desire to know God's will. Proverbs 3 and verse 6. Uh, one of my my mother's favorite verses of scripture, in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. If we have this intense desire to know God's will, if we acknowledge God in everything we do in our lives, he will lead us, he will guide us, he will show us the way to go. Um, Proverbs 16 and verse three says, commit to the Lord, whatever you do and your plans will succeed and so we want, we want to have this intense desire to know God's will. And then the third condition, we must have a willingness to do God's will. We must have a willingness to do God's will. David prayed, teach me to not know your will, right? Teach me to do your will. Not just to know it, but to do it. If God knows in advance that, that we have no willingness to follow through on what his will is... Why would he bother revealing it to us in the first place? We've got to be willing to do it. James 4 and 17 reminds us, anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. Pretty straightforward. If we know what we're supposed to do and we don't do it, well, that's sin. And it's pretty cut and dried. Uh, There's a writer, E.C. Baird, who put it this way in, in poetry form. He said, you ask, what is the will of God? Well, here's the answer, true. The nearest thing that should be done that he can do through you. The nearest thing that should be done that he can do through you. So we we learn those conditions that that have to be met and then lastly, we learn the ways that God teaches us to do his will. And I want to just I want us to make sure we get these these few things here. They're they're simple, but you know, sometimes sometimes we miss Sort of harmonizing these these things when we're when we're seeking God and asking Him, you know, what is Your will for my life? The first one is this: the first way that God teaches us to do His will is is through the teaching or by the teaching of His Word. By the teaching of His Word, David said in Psalm one forty three and verse five, "I meditate on all Your works and consider what Your hands have done." In the Bible, we have this this complete declaration of God's will in general terms, most of the guidance that he gives us is, is through certain stated principles that we find in the word of God. So, you know, I, I maybe have, have intimated something like this before, but I, I just I always get a, a kick out of when people come and, and say to me things like, you know, they come to my office, you know, pastor, I've met this person, this new person, and we are just so in love, and she's a Christian, and and we read the Bible together and we, we pray together and God brought us together and we just believe that it's God's will for us to be together. And uh, I need you to explain that to my wife for me. Right? People will find all kinds of ways to, to you know, characterize and frame God's will for their life. You know, God told me, the Spirit, the Spirit said, well, guess what? God won't tell you Something that goes directly against his word. That's that's not from God. So I I don't have any problem determining that that's not God's will for this person's life. Because the biblical stance on marriage is, you know, devotion to one person in a one flesh relationship until death do us part. And so, you know, all of that other subjective mumbo jumbo, as far as I'm concerned, it means nothing to me. I can definitively say, no, that's not God's will for your life. Some questions we need to ask ourselves when contemplating God's will are: Are these <clears throat> will it will it glorify God? Is it, is it something that will bring that will bring honor and glory to God? This thing that we you know think is God's will for our life will it will it do that? Uh, will it will it honor the Holy Spirit? Will it you know may not grieve the Holy Spirit? And then and then thirdly, does it conflict with any clear command in Scripture? This one is is a no-brainer because we've got the Bible, we understand God's word to us. And so we need to know, is this something that, that conflicts with what God tells me in, in his word? And if it is, well, you can, you can cross it off the, the potentially God's will list. Okay. We also need to guard against, you know, using the Bible as a, just a magic book. You know, you take your Bible and you let it just fall open or or randomly, you know, pop up on your screen, uh, and and take that as God's word for for your life, God's will for your life, right? You've all heard about the person that that did that, and he uh, Bible flopped open. He read that first verse, and it said, "And Judas hanged himself." So he thought, "Well, that's not very good." So he he let let it fall open again, and he found another phrase that said, "Go thou and do likewise." So not a good not a good practice when you're looking for God's will. But there are times that we need more than just this general guidance that I'm talking about, aren't there? There are times when we need it to be more specific. And so so God teaches us through the, the teaching of His Word. He helps us to know His will. He also, though, teaches us by the promptings of His Holy Spirit. David said in verse 10, that second part of the verse, May your good spirit lead me on level ground. And I think of another passage in Romans where Paul talks about, about this. He says, therefore, brothers, we have an obligation. Romans eight twelve to 14. But it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. And so, you know, we need to be people led by the Spirit of God. And remember, you know, contrary to some people's theology or maybe lack of it, the Spirit of God will not lead us to do anything contrary to the Word of God, just, just so that we're clear, right? When, when you come and say, I really feel the Spirit's leading me to do this, but it goes against God's Word, that's a good, that's a good litmus test for you to be able to, to eliminate that, that thing. We need to be led by the Spirit of God. We need to pray. We need to ask the Holy Spirit. We need to be specific. Spirit of God, lead me. Holy Spirit, you know, I need your direction. I need your guidance. When we prayed before the service this morning, we prayed, Spirit of God, you know, we need you. We, we need you to show up today. That's really all that matters. Uh, you know, if we preach your word and the Spirit is here, then, then people's hearts will be touched and, and lives, will be, lives will be changed. But that's what we need. We need the direction and the guidance and the leading of the Holy Spirit. So, you know, how does that happen? Well, sometimes, uh, you know, sometimes it's just an impression. Sometimes it's just, it's just a thought that comes to your mind and, and won't go away. Just one of those, you know, one of those things that, that you need to sort of follow up on. Uh, sometimes it can happen through, uh, through a dream. Notice I said sometimes. Sometimes that's just, you know, bad pizza. So, so you got to kind of be able to, to test these things, right? But the spirit of God teaches us a different way. Sometimes it'll be like a, a, a word picture, just a, you know, an, an image that you get in your mind that will, that will help to lead you in a certain direction. And we, we need to take and, and use all of these, you know, what we consider to be promptings of the spirit of God and make sure they line up with the word, make sure that, that it doesn't go against anything in, in the Bible, and then, and then also, uh, we're going to get to this in a moment, but also we, uh, you know, we, can, we can test it by, by sort of bouncing it off other godly people sometimes as well. So if you know somebody that's a, a good Christian, you, want to, you just share with them, you know, I think this might be what, what the Spirit's saying to me. And sometimes we, we can have that confirmed. Lines up with God's Word. Another, another Christian believer, you know, feels like, you know, yeah, that could be, that could be good. That could be something that God's teaching you about and then we can sort of know. So we need to be people led by the Spirit and, and that requires intentional listening uh, for, for, the Spirit's, for the Spirit's voice. So don't just pray and get up and leave, but pray and wait. You know the hardest part of prayer? What's the hardest part of prayer? It's, it's pausing to listen. Because when we pray, we think it 's just talking, right we think it's just okay god i 'm going to download here all of my all of my requests, all of my list but that's that's not that's not a conversation uh, that 's a lecture right We need to wait, we need to listen, we need to hear what it is that God's saying to us so by the promptings of the spirit through the teaching of his word, and then by the overruling of god 's providence, by the overruling of god 's providence, this means that God can also guide us through the circumstances of life. He opens doors and he closes doors, the Bible tells us. In Revelation 3 and verse 8, where he says, you know, see, I've placed before you an open door that no one can shut. He also can lead us, as I mentioned, by the, the wise counsel of Christian friends and loved ones. Proverbs 15 and 22, plans fail for l- lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. It's important to note this this one last thing, and that is this. These three things that we're talking about God's word the promptings of his holy spirit the circumstances of life and the input of, of other wise godly people those three things need to to harmonize and when they do this is this is my um, you know little proviso on on the God's will formula if all three of those things harmonize I say go ahead go for it because even if it's not specifically God's will and direction for your life, it's probably not going to hurt anybody. It's probably going to be good. It, you know, it lines up with God's word. You feel like God's saying it to you. Someone else feels like, like that's a confirmation. And, and I think, you know, eight times out of ten, that's God's will for your life. The other two times, go ahead and do it. It's not going to kill anyone, right? Does that make sense? Or is that just oversimplified? I'm a simple guy, so I don't know what else to tell you. So let's just kind of wrap this up. The prayer of of David tells us some important things about the will of God. And we know that, that if we will pray for God's will and according to his will, then we have the promise that God not only hears our prayers, but he will give us whatever we ask. That's what it says in 1 John chapter 5. John also says that while the world is passing away, and, and the lusts with it, he says, he who does the will of God abides forever. That's in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 17. And so just, just one last little little proviso. Remember this as well. God doesn't necessarily reveal his will all at once to us. Anybody ever found that to be true? Sometimes you just get little bits. You just get enough to get you to the next step. He doesn't, he doesn't always give us the whole big picture. Wouldn't that be awesome, right? I, I don't know if it would be so great. If you got the whole picture, you might look at everything you had to go through to get to the result and you might think, I can't do that, that's too hard, right? I think that's probably why he doesn't show us the whole picture. But he, but he gives us sort of incrementally what we need to know. You, you learn and understand God's will for your life on a need to know basis, that's a good thing to remember. I used to watch a TV show when I was uh, younger, and uh, they actually just remade it into a movie here a few years ago, but but it was a great television series called The A-Team. Anybody remember The A-Team? Sure. Great show. It was a lot of fun. And and if, if you don't, you know, if you never saw The A-Team, if you never saw the series, I mean, if you went and saw the movie, you could get some idea about what goes on there. But But we never missed our time with Hannibal Smith and B.A. Baracus and the rest of the team of fugitive Vietnam vets who took on the causes of people victimized by the bad guys. And the basic plot of every episode was the same. You know, fairly predictable. Bad guy picks on victim. Victim hires A-team, A-team. And then bad guys, you know, uh, the A-team goes after the bad guys. The bad guys are about to win and then the A-team comes up with a brilliant and usually very unlikely plan. And the A-team wins. Every plot, exactly the same. Am I wrong? No, I'm not wrong. These elaborate plans were hatched by the leader of the team, Colonel Hannibal Smith. And he never seemed to tell anybody else what he was doing or why he was doing it or, or you know, why he was asking them to do it. But at the end, when the tragedy... F- strategy? Yes, I said that right. When the strategy finally unfolded, victoriously Hannibal would always say those trademark words, what were they? I love it when a plan comes together. That's great. I love it when a plan comes together. It's one of the phrases I like to use as well, Uh, you know, whenever anything I do actually works out. Um, so, So think about this. And just, you know, bear with me for two more minutes. But think about, think about that picture. A flawless plan. A leader who carries it out without explaining it. An amazing outcome when the plan comes together. Hmm. It's maybe more than a scenario for some fictional television show. It may well be exactly what is playing out in each of our lives right now. See, God is working out an incredible plan for your life. Right now, it might not seem like you have the answers, like you even have clear direction for the next step in this moment. The issues and the questions that you're facing in your life—they may seem totally overwhelming to you. It's—it's it's hard to see where all this is going sometimes, to see how it can all possibly work out. And what we need to be reminded of today, I believe, are seven powerful words from Second Samuel chapter 22 and verse 31. And that's these seven words. They're not on the screen but you might want to write this text down because it's a good one to remember. Seven words, as for God, His way is perfect. As for God, His way is perfect. God is working out a plan for all of us. And when it comes together, it will be perfect, perfectly timed, perfect for everyone affected by it, perfect for the long term, not just today. Ron Hutchcraft says this, he says there is a a sovereign synchronicity in everything God does bringing people, events, opportunities, and resources together in the most amazing way. We sometimes balk at following God's leading because we get hung up on the, on the mites and the coulds and the what-ifs and the yeah buts. But the good news today is that all the fallout of you doing God's will, that's God's business. If something doesn't go exactly as, as planned and God has led you that way, He'll, he'll take care of it. Romans 12 and 2 says that when we are surrendered to Jesus Christ, when we have you know, given our lives to Him as a living sacrifice, it says that then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Too often we don't pray for God's will because we're afraid we won't like it when we find out what it is. But we need to understand that God won't lead us in a way that he does not equip us to travel. God will never lead us in a way that he does not equip us to travel. And so let's be the people of God who like David pray, "O oh Lord, teach me to do your will." Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word this morning. And God, we just pray that Lord, this is a it's a different kind of message. It's one of those it's one of those sort of personal reflection words. And we need to go from here, God, and we need to to seek your face. We need to be open and honest before you and ask that that you would work in each and every one of our lives to help us to know your will. God, I pray that you would birth a a passion in all of our hearts today, my own included. God, to, to daily seek your face about what the next step is for your will in my life, what the next step is for your will in our lives, that God, we would be always open, always ready, always listening to know, God, what it is that, that you're leading us to next. And Lord, when things get difficult, when things get hard, when circumstances don't go our way, will you help us to, to seek your face and to ask you to help us to know, God, what it is that we're learning through this and how it is that you're working out your will and your perfect plan for our lives, even through the, the difficult circumstances that we sometimes face. God, we're just, we're just your children. The Spirit of God, we need you. We need your, your direction in our lives. We know that, that we have your word. We know that, that we can look to your word for direction and that, God, there are all kinds of principles that are there. And we pray that, that God, you'll make that come alive to our hearts as we read it every day. Lord, we also pray that, that your spirit will prompt us and God, that you will align those circumstances in our lives and those people who, who we intersect with, who are, who are people of God and, and God, that we will be able to determine and discern and to know your will. God, when we put these, these thoughts and ideas into practice. Have your way in each of our hearts, I pray. And uh, God, we just thank you. We thank you for your presence here today and make your word alive to our hearts, I ask by your Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.